Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. So good to be together here. And for those of you who are at home, welcome. We're so glad you're here. This morning, we need to talk about truth. Is that all right? I want you to open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to be studying verses 1 through 9 this morning. We do need to talk about truth. Um, Peter, in this chapter, launches into this uh, semi-tirade against false teachers. Now, if Peter is talking about false teachers, he must believe that there is such thing as truth, that there is a truth that is true for everyone. If Peter is going to launch in against these false prophets, he must have a worldview that says there is truth and that it can be known. But this is not necessarily the culture of our day. Today in our culture, um, relativism has taken shape and taken form and in some ways taken over. And so today, before we launch into the, the passage that we're studying, I want, I want to talk to you just a little bit about the idea of truth. Because here's the thing, you may believe that there's such thing as truth. You may believe that there is a truth that is true for everybody. But your coworkers may not. The people that you see at the gym, well, not now, but when you used to go to the gym, may not. Your kids may not. And so we have to talk about truth as a church because truth is essential to what we do and what we practice. When I was a kid, um, my, we were looking for a karate uh, dojo for me to be part of. I wanted to take karate lessons or whatever. You, you know, I'm going to stop and I'm going to pray for that right now. Is that okay? Okay. Father, whatever emergency is happening right now and we hear the sirens, Father, would you be uh, with them and would you cause them, uh, Lord, shine your favor on them, bless them, protect them, whatever's going on, would you be there with them? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, when I was a kid, uh, we were looking for a karate uh, dojo for me to be a part because I watched the karate kid like no less than 700 times and I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna be that guy. And so, uh, so we, you guys know that. And then some of the kids are like, karate kid, what's that? And so we, we had this, uh, we went through a couple different dojos and we, saw, we went to this one in town and uh, they were doing some stuff and then they, they got the kids kind of like separated across the room, like way apart from each other, opposite each other, facing each other. And then they, they said, we're going to do some sparring. And I said, well, I thought sparring was like when you were close together and you were hitting each other. And, uh, but no, they were going to do sparring across the room. It was contactless sparring. This was before Corona. Okay, like contactless sparring. So they're across the room, and, and, and the, the sensei would, would be like, hey, like that. And then the kids would all go, ha! And, and they would try to throw a punch. And then they would argue about who got first and who hit who. Contactless sparring. And I remember as a kid thinking like, well, that's pointless. If I don't get to hit anyone when I go to karate, what, I don't want to go here. And, uh, and so we picked another dojo. But the weird thing about it was that this idea of these kids have this sparring match, and then there's no objective way to know what's actually going on or who won, who actually made contact, because there's no contact. The contact was removed, and so there was no way to know the truth. And see, in our culture, 
the way it's talked about is everyone has their own truth. And yet, at the same time, if everyone has truth, no one has truth. We've removed the, the contact, that idea of objective truth and absolute truth. We've removed the idea that there is truth that is true for everyone. You see, we all say, I'm right, and this is my truth, and my truth wins, with no way of knowing if what we're saying is actually true, what we're believing is actually true. And in our culture, the culture says, that's all right, you're all right. You all have your own truth. And our culture confirms that whatever I believe and whatever my preference to believe is, is, is what is true for me. But when you ob remove objective truth from the equation, you also remove the, the possibility of knowing anything. If we remove the idea of truth, you can't actually know anything. If everyone's truth is their own truth and it's all true equally, and all untrue equally, then how can we actually know anything? How can we accurately, accurately navigate the world we live in? This is called relativism. And it's been shifting in our culture this dire direction for decades and decades. And it has many forms. Relativism has many forms. But the basic definition is this, that there's no such thing as truth that is true for everyone. There are only beliefs that individuals and societies choose to embrace because it works for them. The, the evidence of relativism, you've probably heard this a million times, is this statement, I've already said it, but that's your truth, this is my truth, that's her truth. And everyone has their truth, and they might even contradict each other, but it's all truth. Now this, when you bring up the idea of truth, someone might even say there's no such thing as truth. We can't know what truth is, so there's no such thing as truth. Now this obviously isn't a biblical worldview. But even if you remove biblical teaching from the equation, it breaks down at both the logical and the experiential level. Logically, let's just walk through this. This is important. Logically, if you make the claim there is no such thing as truth, in that very statement, you are making a truth claim, aren't you? So in essence, you are saying it is absolutely true that there is no such thing as absolute truth. Logically, this doesn't work. If there is no such thing as truth, how can you say that your claim that truth doesn't exist is true or accurate? The statement Truth does not exist by its own nature is a truth claim, and therefore it caves in on itself. Now, experientially, we find this to be true as well. Every one of us knows that there are realities, there are truths in the world that are true whether we want to believe them or not. Again, when I was a kid, my cousin and I were out in, at this place out in, in the country, and... Uh, it was dark, it was nighttime, and we needed to go out to the car to get something. So we go running in the dark. You know, your parents tell you don't run in the dark, but we did it anyways. We went out running in the dark through this dark porch that was outside and uh, believed it was free and clear. That's what we believed. Until my face hit a metal pole that was hanging by two ropes right into it. Like it was dead on, right into the end of the pole. My face hit it, it swung, I go down, and then it swings back and my cousin right in the forehead. Double whammy. 
we believed there was no pole hanging there until it hit us right in the face. What we believed did not change reality. Reality was what it was. And I had the gash on my face and he had the open wound on his forehead to prove it. Experientially, we know there's such thing as truth. Now, at first glance, relativism seems very kind and gracious. I get the heart behind it. It's this idea that we don't want to offend anyone. It creates this wide tolerance for anyone to believe what suits them so that we don't have to offend each other by saying, you're wrong and I'm right. That we can all have different and even contradicting, quote, truths, yet still live in harmony. That's the idea maybe behind it. But it is actually relativism and this belief that there's no such thing as true truth is actually cruel. Because we live in a world with concrete realities and consequences to those realities, both good and bad, that we as humans must learn how to navigate. If there's no truth, how do we navigate it? To lead people to believe that truth and reality molds itself to their own will is as cruel as sending a toddler into a room full of razor-sharp objects and tripping hazards and telling them, think safe thoughts. I'm not trying to mock anyone's point of view. I'm just saying this is real. We have to talk about this. If we don't believe there's truth, we're sending our world into a world of razor-sharp objects and tripping hazards and saying, think safe thoughts and you'll be okay. It's not kind. It's not compassionate. It's cruel. We have to reject this illogical, unbiblical, and ultimately cruel philosophy of relativism. We have to. We have to teach our kids this, you guys. We have to tell them what they're hearing. Your truth, my truth. No, there is the truth. And it, it, the truth is rooted in a person. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the definition of truth. And his word that speaks of him and speaks for him is our definition of truth. Now, the question of what or who is the source of truth has been debated for millennia. But the reasons that Christian, Christians anchor their source of truth in Scripture and the person and work of Jesus Christ is a whole sermon in itself. I can't cover all that today or we'll never get to 2 Peter 2. But I'll summarize it this way. That for reasons of history, evidence, internal coherence, honesty, witness reliability and congruity, and the utter uniqueness of Jesus Christ himself, not to mention the Holy Spirit's direct conviction in our hearts, those of us who trust Jesus as our Savior believe that there is a higher form of truth than even logic and experience alone can provide. Scripture, the books of the Old and the New Testament, our Bible. That's what we believe is the highest form of truth in our world. So I want to say this, and I want us to absorb this. Truth is real, and it can be known. The world is telling us that truth isn't real, and even if it was, it can't be known. A biblical worldview is that truth is real, and it absolutely can be known. Can we know all truth? No. But we can know the truth that we need to know, because it's found in Scripture. Truth is real, and it can be known. And the truth is rooted in the apostles' witness of Jesus and the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus himself in John 5, 39 said the Old Testament scriptures, they speak of me. 
They all lead to Jesus. And this is Peter's claim. So we're going to watch now Peter's warning to the church about those who are enemies of the truth. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. Read along with me. But false prophets also arose among the people. Now what people? The people of Israel in ancient times. There were prophets who were writing scripture and prophesying. And others who were against the truth. False prophets rose, oftentimes for pay. Rose against what was being preached. But false prophets rose among the people. Just as, listen, this is for you, just as there will be false teachers among you. Who's the you there? The people of the church. You. Every person sitting here, every person at home, there will be false teachers that rise up among you. I want to tell you this stark, startling truth. Where truth is preached, it will be opposed. Where truth is preached and spoken, it will be opposed. We have a promise. This is not a promise we like, but it's true. Where truth is given, truth will be opposed. Wherever God sows truth, inevitably, Satan will sow lies to grow up alongside and amongst the truth. You see, false teachers can't resist a good crowd. Because faithful servants, faithful leaders have gathered a crowd like you together. And a false teacher says, well, I don't have to do the hard work of gathering the crowd, of growing the crowd, of making them one. All I have to do is slip in and sow my lies for my gain. They don't want to do the hard work. They slip in and they grow up amongst a group of people like us who have been gathered around the truth. They weave themselves into an already gathered group of people. And seeming to be one of them, they subtly hijack the group with appealing teaching that will end up bringing the false teacher gain. Christians must increasingly know their Bibles and increasingly know Jesus. We need to know the truth so well that when lies are introduced, alarm bells go off in us all over the place. My grass at home, my front yard, many years back, I noticed it was starting to change the way it's, it was looking. The leaves were getting broader, and uh, it was looking weird, and it wasn't looking like that thick, rich grass. You, I care about my grass. You guys, maybe you don't care. I care about my grass. I, I want my grass to look really good. And it just little by little started looking weird, and what I realized is that crabgrass has gotten in there, and then eventually it literally took over. My whole lawn was crabgrass. It had to get ripped out and then resotted. And so now you should see me. I'm like getting down close. Is that crabgrass? I don't care. I'm going to rip it out anyways. <laughs> and I'm spraying it with crabgrass killer because I don't ever want that to happen again because what crabgrass does is there's one seed that gets in there and it pops up. And then when you mow it, the seeds spread. And then over here you get a patch. And over here you get a patch. And over there you get a patch. And pretty soon it takes over the whole thing. We've got to know what real grass, the truth, looks like so well that when crabgrass pops up in our midst, we say, whoa, 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 wait a second, what is that? Why? Keep reading. Middle, middle part of verse 1. Who, false teachers, will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing up 
upon themselves swift destruction. You see, false teachers, get this, false teachers will depart from the core teachings of Scripture, especially those concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ. Peter uses this word heresy. I think it gets thrown around a lot. We've got to understand what it means. And he says that it's destructive. We need to define what this means. See, in Peter's time, the word heresy had a range of meaning. The root was to separate off or to create a faction. It was a faction. You could have a religion and have different sects, different factions. And used here, it has the sense of a teaching and philosophy that comes from a different set of teaching. Teaching that divides away from Scripture, which in chapter 1, Peter defines as the Old Testament writings and the writings of Jesus' apostles. So this heresy he speaks of is any teaching that departs from the core teaching of the Old Testament scripture and the teachings of the apostles. One scholar puts it this way, theological, that heresy is theological errors so serious that it would deprive someone of salvation. That's one way of looking at it. See, Peter makes it even more clear what kind of departure he's thinking about here by saying that the false teachers will what? Deny the master. True mark of heresy a clear mark of heresy is this. It's an attempt to diminish the identity, greatness, and centrality of who? Jesus, the master. My master, your master, their master, everyone's master. Whether or not we've given our lives to him, he's still the master. And heresy, a clear, clear, clear mark of it is that we're going to take Jesus and say, oh, he's good, but he's not that good. Or take something else and elevate it to the same level or above Jesus. The most core beliefs we hold have to do with who God is, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, what he is like, and how he saves human beings. Peter wants us to be aware of those who alter or diminish these core issues. Now, I want to warn you about something. There are primary and core doctrines that all Christians must believe. But I want to tell you, there are also things taught in the Bible that godly Christians have interpreted differently for centuries. These are secondary, or what I would call non-core teachings. Things that it's not adequately clear exactly what that verse or passage meant. On these secondary theological questions, people can land on some different answers and yet still be connected in and submission to the core beliefs that the Bible teaches. I'm not saying that everyone can be right on these issues. I'm not saying, well, everyone's. I'm not doing that. That's your truth. That's my truth. There is a correct interpretation. It's just hard to know exactly what it is on some of these things. It can be a little bit foggy, and so we don't separate over it. So you can't go around labeling everything theological, every theological difference that you have with people as heresy. Oh, you don't agree with me? Heretic. We, we can't do that. That's also wrong. That's also something we don't want to get into. For one simple reason. How do you know you're right? How do you know you're right and that you're the one who's accurately interpreted that foggy interpretation? We need to have grace. There are issues that we must be rock solid on. God's existence and nature, the sinfulness of man, the deity of Jesus, salvation only through what Jesus did on the cross, etc., etc. But there are also issues that we need to have enough humility to realize that our interpretation may not be completely accurate or the only way to look at it. For instance, miraculous gifts, are they still around? 
We hear about these miraculous gifts in the, in the New Testament. Some people feel that those have gone away and they have scriptural reasons why. There are those that say they're still in full force and they have scriptural reasons why. How about when Jesus will return in relation to the tribulation? Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, if you've ever read anything about the end times. You can fall on different lines with that. Dressing formally at church or dressing informally at church. Music style for worship. These are all things that are not clear in the Bible exactly other than we should be informal at church like we are right now, especially if it's outside, right? That's very clear. In the, I'm joking. There's a difference between a heretic and someone who disagrees with you on a secondary issue. Amen? If you can't see this, it might be because you are blinded by pride at which point I might want to reflect on whether my character is as in line with sound doctrine as I claim my doctrine is. Both what we believe and how we believe it matters, and how we live matters. Let's keep reading. Verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality and become, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. That word means to slander. It will be slandered, maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with False, that word false, it comes from the word that's the root for plastic, plastos. False, plastic words. Their condemnation, false teachers, from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Church, false teachers will use their words to feed their lusts and their greed. This is a mark of a false teacher. They will use words to feed their lust and their greed. False teachers are exposed by their false words and their corrupted character. It's not just what they teach. It's how they live. It's how we live. They're described as sensual, addicted to pleasing the senses. Their life and teaching draws people away from spiritual truth and affixes them to material desires that can be seen, heard, felt, or bought. They use smooth talk and flattery to promise health and wealth and prosperity if you'll only follow these three steps. One of them usually being send me money. They'll downplay the seriousness of materialism and sexual sin. And all of this they do to, and teach to feed their greed. Where our ESV translation that we tend to work out of uses the word, they will exploit you. Another translation also rightly renders it as, they will be making merchandise of you. You are not a family to them. You are a business opportunity. That's the nature of a false teacher. A false teacher will only serve you as long as it is profitable to him. And so sadly, because of false teachers and the people who follow them, the way of Jesus is blasphemed. It's slandered. Because they put on lamb's clothing and do horrible things, the lamb himself is maligned. And not only that, the world around will believe that what is true of this villain is true of the rest of us. They're hypocrites. They're phonies. We've been warned. We've been warned. When false teachers, false shepherds lurk amongst us and are not dealt with, Jesus' name is slandered and the name of the church is slandered. We've all seen this.
but a true shepherd of the church will lead the people even and especially when he gains nothing from it. Accepting the loss that comes with leading as an honor. Sacrifice and suffering is part of the agreement that a true shepherd makes with God. I will love and serve people, he says, with truth in the name of Jesus, no matter what it costs me. That's what a true shepherd does. I've watched our leader, Matt, suffer like this. Our leader is not perfect. He'd be the first one to admit it. But these years have been hard. And he and the team he leads that I've seen, the shepherds that lead you, have led way past the point of sacrifice. I hope you know how loved you are. And I hope you know how well served you are by a leader like Matt and the team he's assembled around. He didn't ask me to say that. He didn't know I was going to say that. And I don't need a raise. That's genuine. That is genuine. You see, false teachers may seem to be doing well. They may even seem to be blessed. But God assures us that their condemnation, his dealing with them, is on the move. It is not sleeping. He's coming for them because he's hurt. they're hurting people he loves. Verse 1 says that they introduce destructive heresies but that this brings destruction upon them. It's like they're weaving a web that will be their own downfall. They're building their own coffins. Church, I want you to know this. The sin of false teachers is incredibly serious. God is going to deal and is dealing with it very seriously and severely. It is not a small thing to mislead a group of people who are trying to follow Christ, trying to worship Jesus, trying to go after him with all they have and introduce lies. It's not a small thing. So look at verse four. Peter wants to show God's posture towards false teachers and also his ability to protect his people from them. He's gonna use imagery from the book of Jude. This is Jesus' half-brother and also with Old Testament stories. He's gonna show that God's judgment of the wicked can happen while at the same time delivering the righteous. Look at verse four. For if God did not spare the angels, this is Genesis six. If God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, the rest of the world was flooded, but he preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, who lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he, had, that he saw and heard. Verse 9, then the Lord knows how to rescue the, ungod the godly from trials and to keep the righteous under punishment until the, the unrighteous. I'm getting this all wrong. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous 
under punishment until the day of judgment. There are two stories mentioned here. Genesis 6, the world was, was so utterly corrupt that even angels fell into immorality with humans. But even in the darkest of times, though God would bring destruction on those who rebelled, he saved Noah and his family through it. He saved the righteous out of a horrible, dark period of time. Genesis 19, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah had become completely corrupt and vile. And yet God, though bringing destruction to these cities, is able to save a man named Lot. This was Abraham's nephew out of it. Here's the point and how these stories connect to the, to the church and the false teachers that are sure to come through. The point is this. God is able to protect his church from falling away. God is able to. You're supposed to say amen after this. God is able to protect his church from falling away. Yes. Scary to imagine. Very scary to imagine being tricked and lulled away by a smooth-talking false teacher. We can, it can leave us thinking, how, how do I know if this is happening? How do I know it hasn't already happened to me? But, but Peter wants to reassure us. God knows how to root these liars out. God knows how to save us from the threats that false teachers and their teachings pose. This being said, this reassurance doesn't leave us without responsibility. Hear this, church. This reassurance that God gives us that he can save us does not relieve us from responsibility. There are people in churches who do get swept away by false teaching. We can't be lazy about the truth. God's word is is our guard, as is his Holy Spirit living in us. So I want to encourage you this, the last point. Be careful who you allow to lead your mind and your heart. Be careful who you let lead your mind and heart. I'm going to say it one more time. Please don't think about the other people around you right now. Think about yourself. Who are you letting lead your mind and your heart? Who are you listening to? Be careful who you allow to lead your mind and heart. False teachers don't just show up in the church. I'm gonna say it again. False teachers don't just show up in the church, do they? Our world is saturated with false teaching. Remember, it's anything that departs from the core teachings of Scripture. It's possible that we could be very vigilant for what we're being taught at church. And all the while, we have the door of our minds wide open to all other avenues of teaching in our lives. What news do you watch? Is any of it safe? Education, politicians, even the one you're going to vote for, your political party, friends, social media, the list goes on and on and on. False teaching is abundant. And if you say, I'm going to watch for false doctrine at church when they're talking about Bible stuff, but then when I go out and I listen to my news, whatever that guy says, oh, I love him. He just says it so well. What if he's one of those smooth talkers? What if he says enough truth to slip in something that benefits him? What if she is a smooth talker? What if that politician you're listening to that you want to vote for is a smooth talker and says just enough truth so that they can then slip in that, the, the, the weeds, the crabgrass? You can't just watch your doctrine at church. You've got to watch it 
when you're sitting at home on your sofa watching TV, when your kids are being educated at school, when you're reading social media posts and posting social media posts. It's everywhere. I'm not saying to shelter yourself from differing viewpoints. In fact, I think mature Christians, a mature Christian is very wise to be aware of the breadth of perspectives that there are on issues. I don't think we should shelter ourselves and close our eyes to what different people are saying at all. In fact, I think a really big problem in our culture right now is that we tend to only seek out information that confirms what we already believe. You've probably done it in the last week, so have I. We only go to sources that are already saying the things I, I believe. And so our minds are a bias-confirming echo chamber of self. That's dangerous, too. So I'm not saying to shelter yourself from the differing perspectives being taught. I'm saying filter it. Even if it agrees with what you already think, filter it. Filter it. Filter what I'm saying right now. Filter what Matt and Kyle preach. Filter it with what? Scripture. Scripture. The person and work of Jesus and everything that is written in the page of scriptures, of the scriptures, you need to know it, you need to love it, you need to put it in your heart and in your mind so that when false teaching comes, you'll be able to see it. And be very slow to form your opinions. Oh, church, if I could ask you anything right now in the period we're in, if I could beg of you anything, be very slow to form your opinions. We need to reserve the right to ponder to critically think and to pray about what we're hearing. And above all, we need to reserve the right and reserve the time it takes to filter what we hear through Scripture. Everyone's got an opinion about everything these days. And sometimes your opinion is formed in five minutes after watching a video on YouTube. It's happened to me. It's happened to you. Let's all be honest. Or someone posts something on social media or a friend says something and all it's convincing and we make our opinion. It's done. Guys, be slow to form your opinions. This is not just a solo endeavor. We need the people of the church to vet our beliefs biblically together. We live in a microwave culture of forming thought and opinion. Christians are called to buck that trim and become slow cookers. In forming your opinions, don't be a microwave. Be a slow cooker. Take your time. Take the effort and time it takes to study the word and do it with other Christians. I don't have the time. You don't have the time not to. Truth is vital. My heart and our heart for this church is that we would not be the kind of church that goes around yelling heresy at anyone who disagrees with us on any little topic. But the heart that we have for this church is also is that we would know Scripture, know God's Word so well that we'd be able to engage topics, engage opinions, engage things we hear from a biblical, loving and gracious, patient, listening, but a biblical worldview. Why do we preach out of the Bible every single week? It's because one of the callings of the shepherds of the church is to build you up 
in the knowledge of Christ, in the knowledge of his word, to be able to navigate this world in truth. Not be the Bible thumper on the corner that's offending everyone that you possibly can because I've got the truth and I've got it all. To lovingly, graciously, mindfully, intelligently, slow cookery, bring Jesus' message to bear in this world and to protect ourselves from falling away. That's why we do this every week. That's why it's so important for you to show up or show up at home. That's why it's so important to commit to this. Because if we don't know the truth, how do we know if we're being fooled? And to study the word on our own. You know, we've been doing this. I don't know how many are doing it. We've been doing this read through the Bible in a year, the McShayan program. I don't know how many of you are still on that. It's, it's, I am, hey, it takes some discipline, right? But there's things like that that we do. Do you have a Bible reading plan? Do you have a plan to have God's word intersect with your life every single day? If you don't, I'd ask, do you watch the news every day? Do you listen to music every day? I'm not guilting you. Please don't hear that. I'm just saying, what are we filling our minds with? What are we filling our hearts with? And what kind of filter mesh are we building to catch and hold at bay things that we're listening to, to consider, to ponder, and to biblically filter so that we can have our minds and hearts set on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Amen. Pray with me, would you? Father, protect us. Protect us, protect us, protect us. Your truth protects us. Jesus, your death on the cross and your resurrection, the power that you hold protects us. Father God, your sovereignty over all things protects us. And Holy Spirit, you living inside of us, speaking directly to our spirits and illuminating God's word to us, you protect us. We thank you for that. We pray that we would make your job easier. (laughs) Help us to love your word. Help us to love the narrative and the stories of Jesus. Help us to love who he is. Help us to know you as much as we can at this very moment and pursue you as you pursue us. Jesus, we love you. We pray you'd protect us and keep our minds squarely, not only on what your truth is, but the way that you lived it out. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Point.